and welcome to the Shelf Care Interview Podcast. I'm Julia Smith, Senior Editor, Books for Youth at Booklist Magazine. We have a special installment today in honor of our year-long Women in Focus celebration. In addition to this podcast, be sure to check out our website for book recommendations, virtual author panels, webinars, and more content that celebrates the voices of all women and girls everywhere. Today, we have the pleasure of hearing from Kim Johnson, author of This Is My America, published by Random House Children's Books, and Alex Astor, author of Curse of the Night Witch, published by Sourcebooks. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Shelf Care Interview, an occasional conversation series where Booklist talks to book people. This self-care interview was sponsored by Random House Children's Books, and today I'm talking with Kim Johnson about her debut novel, This Is My America, which Random House published this July. Kim held leadership positions in social justice organizations as a teen, and now she is a college administrator who maintains civic engagement throughout the community while also mentoring Black student activists and leaders. Thank you for joining me today, Kim. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. Can you start off by telling us a bit about your novel? Yeah, so this is my America. It's about a 17-year-old girl named Tracy Beaumont whose father has been wrongfully incarcerated and sentenced to the to the death sentence. And she has basically spent the last seven years writing weekly letters to Innocence X, hoping that they'll take her father's case. And they're an organization that I created in honor of the Innocence Project and the Equal Justice Initiative. And she's been trying to work to have someone support her father's case. And then the sort of unthinkable happens where her older brother is accused of killing a white girl and he goes on the run and the story basically takes off from there where she has you know agency and she's determined and you know she is that sort of teen detective person that we haven't necessarily had a chance to having a black heroine at the front of her story it's a story about love it's a story about seeking justice and race in our society so what inspires your writing then Yeah, a lot of it is around issues of the Black Lives Matter movement. It's what sparked my interest in telling the story. I felt like the media at the time back in 2014, 2015, when I was thinking about the the kind of stories that I wanted to tell in young, young adult on these issues was very focused on police brutality. And I knew that the issues were were deeper and more systemic in our society. And so I wanted to try to tell a story that really touched on that generational thread. And young people inspire my story. So Tracy is a main character. I think of all the young activists and student leaders from my time, myself, to all the young people that I see every year at the university that I work at or the various universities that I've worked at who have just, they're fearless and, you know, they feel like they can change the world. And I wanted to write a story that had that. And I feel like that's the core in a lot of my stories that, that I write is about young people going on a journey, which I guess is young adult. I was all young adult is that they're always going on a journey, but I, I feel like my journeys are often a little bit more dangerous. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and, and that often is what inspires me. Yeah. And the, the timing on its release, I know you couldn't have predicted where we are when you were writing it, but there are certainly common threads that were always there and less discussed, but it just seems like an extra not good time 
but like a time when people are more actively seeking out stories like this and sort of inspiration to make a difference. Yeah, you know, I think that that was, um, it's just been something I've been ongoing kind of thinking through and processing my my feelings of that I felt was, you know, going to be a really important story that's added to the canon of YA literature and that I would get a chance to meet with readers and, and talk people through it. And then the pandemic hit and, and that was, that didn't happen. And then, you know, George Floyd and Ahmaud Aubrey and Breonna Taylor, um, all within a very short uh, amount of uh, time period, the country all of a sudden was paying attention to these issues in a way that they they hadn't before. And, you know, when I wrote my novel, I, I wanted to write a timeless novel because I felt like at any moment these issues would still be timely. And, you know, as with the timing coming out, I think I sort of am taking that that ownership and that level of responsibility is that I did write this book for a purpose. There were stories and issues that I really wanted to have people pay attention to. And I look to James Baldwin, actually, as someone who inspires me in thinking about bearing witness to the times. And I think my story, even though I could never have obviously predicted that we are in a movement, which I believe that we, this is not a moment. I actually believe that we are in a time of a movement in our country on these issues of, you know, not only Black Lives Matter, but looking at race and the responsibility that every person who is, you know, in America, in the world, has to take hold as I see myself as a literary activist who writes you know, touching stories, but timely stories about the human condition. Do you have any resources or authors or books that you like to recommend to younger people, especially who are often so filled with passion and drive, but might not know how to get involved? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, because I work in, in higher ed, my opinion of young people is that there's actually nothing out of reach for them. And, and I do that with my writing. I, you know, I think that they can, they can strive for stuff. So the stuff that I actually listed in the back of my book was my, my reference list that I wrote, you know, years ago that actually are the books that are now on the anti-racist list. I, you know, I think that, I think the new Jim Crow is a heavy read, probably not every, you know, young person is going to, you know, pick that up. But I do think that in complement with watching the documentary, the 13th, it's completely approachable for a, for a young person. I absolutely think Just Mercy, Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson was my inspiration. When I, when I read that book in 2015, I, I already started to form in my head, how can I provide the human experience of a family in, in my young adult book based on how beautiful Brian Stevenson did it when talking about his own personal life? And I think that's a, a perfect description of a book. The young adult version of Discovering of Westmore, so the book The Other Westmore, I think is actually a really good one because it tells the story of what I think I wanted to have a lot of models in my book in that, you know, his book is about him and, you know, another person with the same name from the same community who had very different lives. And I think that that's really what I was trying to tell in my story is that in an instant, your life can change and that you really are no different than the person next to you. It's just a, a matter of circumstance and situation. And I think that's a really approachable way for young people to pay attention to it on those kinds of things. And so, you know, I think there's, there's a lot of great literature that's, that's coming out that I think are just ex explored 
territory and just thinking about these things. But I love getting nonfiction in the hands of, of young readers because I do think that there's ways in which they can see themselves in different ways. Um, but I do list organizations in the in the back of my book from the Innocence Project, Equal Justice Initiative, the Marshall Project, Prison Policy Institute. They're all they've got great data and information and, and actionable pieces about ways in which they can they can do stuff. And there's lots of different organizations too that I I can probably list off too. But <laughs> oh, that's great! That's a great starting point. And I also love that aside from like the very big and serious issues that your main character is facing in the book, one of her sort of personal fights that she takes up is just with her school newspaper and whether she can be an editor and a person of color and, you know, needing to change the conversation and the coverage that the students see. And I was like, that is such a great example for young people who might be intimidated to jump into like a bigger movement and you see things like protests, but it's just a nice reminder of how you can ground these things and implement them in a more like into your daily life. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I really wanted a lot of different examples in in my novel about how young people can actually have agency. And, you know, oftentimes protests are sort of the big thing that people think about. But if you're an activist or an organizer, you actually, that's like a culmination of a particular situation that sort of like leads into a protest. Usually you're organizing or usually you're, you're meeting regularly on these different things. And because media was such a, a huge reason that I started to write it, I really, it was so important to me that I actually created a character that wanted to do things differently, that wanted to have the voice of what, you know, she was witnessing and experiencing be there and also be an educational way. So like she has Tracy's Corner, that's her sort of editorial piece that she had. She wanted to cover more topics than like the typical thing that everyone else was covering in the school. And she does that. And she does that through her Know Your Rights workshops. I wanted, I wanted another example of the way in which, you know, you can create workshops. You can do that on your own as a young person. You don't have to rely on anyone else. And even her writing letters was a key thing for me. Like she writes letters throughout her book. I think that that's such an important way to use your voice that you can write letters to advocate for things that are important to you or write letters to legislatures or rep- you know, representatives, organizations that you want to change. I just wanted lots of different models of the ways that you can do it that I think often aren't covered. People don't necessarily talk about how do you engage in activism beyond protesting, which I think also has a, you know, a high value too, but how do you have it be an ongoing thing that's actually a part of your, your daily life? Yes, absolutely. We're going to shift gears here a little bit. And for my next question, it is just a more general look at libraries and how they have played a role in your reading or writing life. Yeah. So when I was growing up, my mom would take us to our public library every single weekend. And we, it was like, it was like the most joyous thing that we, that I would ever experience as a young person. And this is like elementary school, middle school, 
because it's like I could explore, you know? And so for me, it always was, it always had been a space where I didn't actually have limits. I could pick up whatever I wanted, you know, for it. And I'm just so excited now that like my book and so many books now of, of that have more representation from underrepresented authors and specifically thinking about Black authors to fill the library because that's where I was getting my books as a young person. I never bought a book as like, it was always, it was always a library. It was, the library always provided me, you know, those books. And, you know, we, when we talk about the windows and sliding doors that are there, you know, I think that that um, expanding the literature and the access to it um, makes all the difference in the world for, for, for all readers. I was going to specifically actually say young people, but I think for all readers. Well, when you're not writing, what do you like to read? I love, I have a combination of, I love nonfiction. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I just picked up Cast by Elizabeth Wilkerson, which is a follow-up from the Warmth of Other Suns. Um, You know, I love reading a lot of nonfiction because I'm, you know, I just geek out (laughs) on on understanding history and and politics and law. But then I also balance the 50% of my hat is I'm so into thrillers and mysteries and I read it from young adult to, um, and that's why, you know, my story has such a, a mystery element in it is because I just, I love quick page turners as a really busy person it's so difficult to you know sometimes jump into a story because I think oh I better do something else but if I'm caught in a page turner then I will just keep reading and reading um those so yeah those are my favorite sort of go-to go-to things so wonderful well we're already at time so thank you so much for chatting with me and thanks to everyone for listening to the shelf care interview This Shelf Care interview was sponsored by Penguin Random House, publisher of Kim Johnson's This Is My America, available now. Hello, everyone. This Shelf Care interview is sponsored by Sourcebooks. And today I'm talking to Alex Astor about her book, Curse of the Night Witch, which Sourcebooks published this June. It is also the first in the Emblem Island series for middle grade readers. Thank you for joining me, Alex. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. Let's just start by you telling us a bit about your book. Great. So Emblem Island Curse of the Night Witch is set on Emblem Island, a world where everyone is born with markings on their skin that represent their fate and their talents. So Tor Luna, the main character, has a leadership emblem, just like his mother, who is the chiefess of their village. But the only problem is Tor doesn't want to lead anyone. He hates his marking and he actually wants a new emblem. So on the annual Eve celebration, when anyone can make a wish in the hopes of it being granted in the new year, Tor wishes for a new emblem. Instead, the next morning, he wakes up and he has been cursed. So he and his two friends must cross Emblem Island for the first time in search of the only person who can break his curse, the mysterious Night Witch. And they have to do so using an ancient book of legends, and they will face monsters from those same book of legends in their path to the night witch i would like to hear a little bit more this ties into the next question i guess which is what inspires your writing so you can either talk to that now or i'm very curious about the mythology aspect of this book and where it came from if these are 
all stories of your invention or if it is based on some other like cultural myths that you're aware of. So Emblem Island Curse of the Night, which the world of Emblem Island is inspired by my Latinx heritage. So I'm Colombian and I grew up hearing my grandmother tell me these Colombian stories, these stories from her childhood. And one of these stories in particular called La Niña con la Estrella en la Frente, which means the girl with the star on her forehead, inspired the world of emblems where you're born with a marking that can determine your fate and you can be gifted markings or talents based on good or bad behavior. So that kind of formed the basis of the world of Emblem Island. And I really wanted to inject some of these Latinx myths that maybe people haven't heard of, like La Llorona, La Ciguapa, La Pata Sola. And so some of the monsters in the story are definitely based on these um, traditional Latinx monsters and creatures and stories. But I wrote some in the book that are just completely my own, but all of them are in the tradition of these Latinx myths that are honestly kind of scary. They are cautionary tales, just like grim tales, Yeah, but they haven't really been watered down by Disney. So when you're a child, you hear these stories and they're kind of dark. Um, they're definitely trying to teach you a lesson. So I thought it was really interesting because I feel like a lot of people in Florida and even just in America haven't heard of these stories. When I was growing up, I would talk about them and no one had any idea what I was talking about. So for my debut, I definitely wanted to incorporate that Latinx mythology that meant so much to me as a child. Oh my gosh, that's great. Yeah, some of those original folktales in whichever culture you're in can be really terrifying. <laughs> yeah, especially because I, I feel like a lot of people don't know about the original Grimm tales that all of the Disney movies are based on. And those are really yeah. dark and every culture has these stories, but the ones in Latinx culture just have not been made kid friendly. So you hear the bad version and you're terrified to go to bed. Oh my gosh, I, I kind of love it though. Let's see. So we're going to jump to libraries for a second. How have they played a role in your reading or writing life? So I've always loved libraries, first of all, because my grandma, the same um, person who told me these Latinx myths that inspired Emblem Island, she has been trying to learn English for the last 20 years. And so she always goes to libraries and she has English classes there. So we would go with her and we would kind of explore while she was taking her English classes. So they have a very special place in my heart. But also more recently, I graduated from UPenn and they have the most beautiful libraries, these libraries that were built in the 1700s or 1800s. And they were the place where I wrote my first books before Emblem Island. And it was just so inspiring to be amongst these ancient manuscripts. They have like a rare book department. So it was really cool to just be there. But libraries have always kind of been an oasis for me to write and not not only write, but get inspiration for the worlds that I'm trying to create. Yeah. Well, when you're not writing, what do you like to read? 
I love to read fantasy and I write middle grade, obviously Emblem Island, Curse of the Night, which is a middle grade book, but I'm also working on young adults. So whatever I'm writing, (laughs) I try to match that to my reading so I can get inspired and really kind of immerse myself in the, in the middle grade voice or the young adult voice. So right now I'm reading Ava Evergreen, Semi-Magical Witch by Julie Abe. Yes. Yes. It's really good. I, I really love it. It so far. And then before that, I really loved Zoraida Cordova's book, The Way to Rio Luna. It's really good. I loved Ghost Squad by Clarabelle Ortega. And those are all middle grade books that are just so fantastic. And they inspire me to, to write better. I actually just had my deadline for the um, second book of the Emblem Island series, the edits for that yesterday. And so whenever I'm working on edits, I love to read middle grade and just kind of remind myself what I'm trying to do and why I love writing. Yeah. As you mentioned, this is a series. Yes. Do you know how many you think will be in the series? So right now, it's a, it was a two-book deal two years ago when the book sold. But we're leaving room for new books. I think I'll probably know pretty soon if there are going to be more books in the series since I'm editing the second book right now. But I would love for there to be more books. I think we've left the door open for a wider narrative to take place throughout the series, but I'm really excited. And especially the second book is really different from the first. The first is all about crossing Emblem Island and the monsters that live there and the myths that kind of dictate the culture of Emblem Island. And this is all about the sea surrounding Emblem Island. So it's like a different territory. Yeah. Oh, that's fun. One thing that I loved in Curse of the Night Witch is just like the details of the lifelines on characters, palms, and the markings, the emblems that appear when they're born. But it also raises the idea of destiny or fate versus choice, Mm -hmm. which I think is a very powerful thing. Can you speak to a little bit how that influences your characters? Of course. So that's probably one of the biggest themes is all of these characters are born with their marking. That isn't just a talent, like you're a good singer, you're a really good cook. It's your role in society. So if you're born with a cooking emblem, that's what you're going to do. And so in Tor's case, he doesn't like his emblem and that kind of goes against the entire culture of his society. So that influences his entire journey. He's willing to risk his life, willing to risk his friend's life for this. And he he questions, am I selfish for wanting something different for my life? Or is the entire system kind of wrong for telling me what I'm supposed to be and how I'm supposed to live my life? So that affects all of the characters. It's interesting because Tor is the only one of the three main characters who doesn't like his emblem. The other two love their emblem. They were born with the perfect <laughs> emblem for them. So uh-huh. I think it's, it's kind of a commentary on just growing up and life in general that sometimes your parents want you to do something and you you really match up with that vision and that's exactly what you want to do too or sometimes you just want a totally different path and maybe you weren't born in the right place and you kind of have to find um, your way in the world so um, that's definitely Tor's story he's willing to go to great lengths to get the fate that he thinks he deserves yeah, it, there's so many like fun and rich aspects to this book. And I know that readers, especially of the like the Rick Riordan Presents books, are going to just love this. So thank you so much for chatting with me. 
And thank you to everyone for listening to the Shelf Care interview. This Shelf Care interview was sponsored by Sourcebooks, publisher of Alex Astor's Curse of the Night Witch, which is available now. Thank you again to Kim Johnson and Alex Astor for joining us today. And thanks to our sponsors, Random House Children's Books and Sourcebooks. Books.